I'd like for you to turn to the 11th chapter of the book of Daniel. A number of years ago, somebody asked me why I didn't uh, teach from the book of Daniel uh, biblical prophecy. Well, the answer to that's obvious, you know. I mean, there's a lot of things that are a lot easier to talk about than biblical prophecy. I need to say a second thing about uh, this uh, before we get into chapter 11, is that there are two, um, this is a simplistic way to say it, but uh, simply put, it's like this, that there are two schools of thought with regard to biblical prophecy. One is that biblical prophecy, prophecy in the Bible, has, is already, has already been fulfilled. And that when you read um, uh, prophecy that relates to end things, and when you come to the book of Revelation, that when you get in that uh, you know, apocryphal literature, apocalyptic literature, that those are symbols and images that uh, have a, a message that relates to that time and has already been fulfilled. So that this school of thought believes that what is found in the, in the Revelation, the last book in the Bible, has already been fulfilled. The, on the other hand, there are those who say that, that what you find in um, prophetic material, literature in Scripture, that it refers to events that are yet to happen, primarily to those events that pl- take place at the end of the world, at the end of the age, history as we know it now. Now I must say, in all honesty that both schools of thought have strengths and weaknesses, and you have problems with both of them. And I, I guess that what I'm trying to say is that, that there is a body of knowledge that, that you and I will never have in this life. And there are answers to questions that we'll not have in this life. And, that, and that's what makes God God and us human, is that He knows a little bit more than we know. You know. And so... Um, Please understand that there are two ways to interpret Daniel. I've been teaching Daniel from the angle that this is prophetic material forecast, uh, predicting events or telling about events that are yet to happen and will happen at the end of the age, although I must admit I have some problem with it. And I hope that somehow you've been stimulated a little bit to investigate both... uh, uh, Approaches. Now with that in mind, we're going to do the book of Daniel, chapter 11. When the um, Middle East crisis got at its, you know, heated up, I was watching CNN one night and I, 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 I listened to a group of protesters um, across from the White House in Washington, D.C. And they were singing a song that had been that really is a Negro spiritual that grew out of the Civil War. And the song was, I ain't going to study war no more. I ain't going to study war no more. I ain't going to study war no more. Now, I'd like to think that that song, you know, is true, but it isn't. I don't know whether you were surprised or not to know that we have colleges that study war. And as long as you and I will live on this earth, as long as there are human beings on this earth, war will occur. James kind of tells us why, that we have wars and rumors of wars. 
when he says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasure that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What he's saying is that as long as there are sinful people on planet earth, they will fight among each other. We do not like peace. Now we talk about it, but we don't like it. Let me read you a verse of Scripture, a passage really from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. If you want to follow along, you can, but I want to hurry and and just listen to it. And Jesus came out from the temple and was going away with His disciples when His disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to Him. And He answered and said to, to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and at the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must, divine imperative, these things must take place, but that's not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs, just the beginning of the end. Now, in answer to their query, Jesus said, Now, you need to be careful lest some deceive you and understand that some things must happen before the end of the age, and those things are wars and rumors of wars. From the beginning of civilization to this moment, war has been a way of life. Let me give you a little history about war. There was what in the Middle Ages what was called the Thirty Years' War. During that period of time, one-third of the population of the earth were killed. In World War I, 20 million people died. That was supposed to be the war that ends all wars. Twenty-five years later, a second war occurred that killed three times that many. Sixty million people perished in World War II. About 20 years ago, U.S. News and World Report said, quote, Since World War II, there have been two, 12 limited wars, 39 political assassinations, 48 personal revolutions, 74 rebellions, and 162 social revolts. That was 20 years ago. Einstein said, There is no defense against the weapons that now destroy civilization. Abraham said, In the next world, none of us can count on having enough living to bury the dead. And John Kennedy once said, We must put an end to war, or war will put an end to mankind. Hal Lindsey, in that uh, famous book, The Late Great Planet Earth, tells about a group of uh, Nobel Prize-winning scientists, and they got together and they discussed war. And they came back with this statement addressed to world leaders, quote, 
Here then is the problem we present to you, stark and dreadful and inescapable. Shall we put an end to the human race, or shall mankind renounce war? We appeal as human beings to human beings, remember your humanity and forget the rest. If so, a way lies open to a new paradise. If not, there lies open the risk of universal destruction. Don't you, do you think it's strange that on the cornerstone of the United Nations building, there is this inscription etched in stone, the Messianic prophecy. Ha men will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning forks. And they get inside that building and they talk about war. And General M Douglas MacArthur stood on the deck of the Missouri, battleship Missouri, that was engaged in the conflict in the Middle East and said this, quote, If we do not move toward a more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door. There are some tonight who predict that Armageddon is at the door. And the people who would put peace signs in their front yard will fight you if you step on their grass. We don't believe in peace. Now the scene before us in Daniel 11 is not very attractive. I'd like to say tonight that I, we could take this verse by verse, but we can't take it verse by verse. And so I want to summarize the first few verses, and then I want to talk to some degree of detail about the last verses. Now what you have in Daniel 11, if you have your Bible open there, are, uh, are uh, scenes, this is a series of events that lead up to the ultimate campaign, to the ultimate war. And there are a series of things that happen that lead to that final war. And you can trace the historical movement of warfare in the 11th chapter of Daniel. It begins like this. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I, Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. And now I'll tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to rise in Persia after Darius. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. As soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday night, we've traced the fact that there was the Babylonian empire, then the Medo-Persian empire, and then the Greeks. And he picks up now, at this point in time, he's, it's during the reign of Darius, the, the Persian king, and he's forecasting, predicting the, the, uh, the powerful Greeks who were under the um, rule and authority of Alexander the Great. We've been over this before. He says in verse 3, he's talking about Alexander the Great. And a mighty king will arise and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. But as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom will be broken up. And you remember that he died and his kingdom was divided to four kingdoms, four kings. He says he his, will be broken up his kingdom and parceled out toward the four points of the compass. 
though not to his own descendants, nor according to his authority which he wielded, for his sovereignty will be uprooted and given to others beside them. Then the king of the south will grow strong, along with one of his princes who will gain ascendancy over him and obtain dominion. Now, let me pause to tell you what he's talking about here. He says, out of these four kingdoms, there will be two of these kingdoms that will have supremacy and and will become incredibly strong. And two of them, of the four, are so strong that he makes note of them and he refers to them as the kingdom to the south and the kingdom to the north. Let me identify them. The kingdom to the south was the Egyptians, Egypt. And the kingdom, the king to the north, that was the Syrians, the kingdom of Syria. So two of them became significant enough for Daniel to mention in detail. And they form an alliance, but one of the two has superior power and overcomes the other, and the one who overcomes is the kingdom to the north, Syria. All right? Now you got this picture. Here is Daniel, and he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's talking to Darius of events yet to come. And he identifies these four kingdoms. This is yet to come. And one great kingdom, which is Syria. Now I want us to drop down to to verse 21. And we're going to pick up what happens out of Syria. Now, I hope that you can remember that out of this nation, this kingdom of Syria, there came this man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the most anti-Semitic man who has ever lived. He was the man, you remember, who marched into the temple and desecrated it, killed a sow, a pig, and spread the blood in the holiest place. He was a vicious and vile man. And he rapes his way through Israel and changes the practice of the, of the feast, the, the, the Jewish practices and, cere- and ceremony. He is the ruler, the king of Syria. Now here's the key, according to those who believe in biblical prophecy that he is a type of one who is to come at the end of the age that the Scripture identifies as the Antichrist. So that what he was in that century as a Syrian leader is what the Antichrist would be on a global scale at the end of the age. And so there is this um, doctrine of this law of uh, double identity. Now, verses 21 through... 34, describe what Antiochus Epiphanes did. I want to just mention, note verse 31. And forces from him will arise and desecrate the sanctuary. That's what he did. Do away with the regular sacrifices and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Now under Antiochus Epiphanes, they... They established what is called the abomination of desolation, which means that they, he totally desecrated holy places. Now, verse 35. There is a shift in verse 35 and a quantum leap in time. 
You say, well, how do you know that? Well, trust me. There is a clue in hermeneutics and in the changes of, of the pronouns that I'll mention to you later. But there moves from verse 34 and those verses prior to that, which is a description of a man of, who has already lived in history, to one who will be like him who is yet to come at the end of the age. And that person is identified as the Antichrist. Look at verse 35. And some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until, here it is, the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. And there's the shift. Now, it's my humble and accurate opinion that what we have now, beginning in verse 35, is a description, according to biblical prophecy, of a world leader identified in biblical prophecy as the Antichrist. You find that over, as, as a matter of fact, um, in the books of First and Second Thessalonians. All right, let's, let's get him pictured. Verse 37. And he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers, he will renounce his, the faith of his childhood. He will deny the deity of his childhood. He will have been taught deity. He denies it, denounces it. And magnify himself above every god. He will be proud and self-willed. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of desire of women. Some people believe that, he'll be, that this means he'll be homosexual. I, I think it means that he will be so obsessed with world domination. He has no regard for women. But instead he will honor a god of fortresses. He will be a man of battle. And he will support a heavy defense program based on mighty military strength. Look at verse 39. And he will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. I take that to be a reference to Satan himself. He will be supported and given power by a foreign god, by Satan himself. And at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him. With whom? with the Antichrist. Now, when the Bible was written, the center of the world was Israel. So that north direction, the direction that's referred to as the north, is north of Israel. And south is south of Israel, of course. Now he talks about now, at the end of, the, of time, the king of the south. Now it's not the same king of the south we've just looked at a while ago, which we uh, identified as Egypt because we're now centuries beyond that. We have taken that leap in time to the end of the age. I mean past tonight, as a matter of fact. Now, if you um, have read biblical prophecy, this king of the south, and here's where everybody got all excited when the Middle East crisis developed, the, the king of the south refers to an Arabic alliance Arab nations south of Israel. 
And the king of the north, which is Russia, you read Ezekiel 38 and you see that unfolding. They make a movement toward Israel. Look at this. The king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships. Russia's uh, naval power is the greatest in the world, with many ships. And he will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land, which is Israel. who have been historically enemies of God. Those who are historically the enemies of God, they uh, will be uh, rescued. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he will gain control. Look at verses 42 through 44. He will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver, over all the precious things of Egypt. And Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. But rumors from the east, from the Orient, does it uh, ring a bell tonight that China uh, testifies that they could, def- they could field tonight an army of 200 million people? He has these rumblings, these rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him. And he will go forth with great wrath to, to destroy and to annihilate many. That is, the Antichrist and his followers. A number of years ago, said Hal Lindsey, India uh, made a great debate, great, made a great uh, uh, statement of fear, that uh, w- wondering what was happening in the Himalayas. The, the Chinese were building a road through the Himalayas. They called it a threat to peace. How do you get an army, 200 million people from the Orient to the Middle East? without a road through the Himalayas, you see. Now, and he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas, that is, the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean and the beautiful holy mountain, Mount Moriah. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Now, what seems to be in verse 45 is a reference to the location of the great and last battle, if you believe in biblical prophecy. It's on the plains of Megiddo, in the valley of Jezreel. Some of you have been there. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, they've taken you out to that place to see it. I can, I'll not forget standing there one day with a group and looking out over the valley of Jezreel, hearing this Arab guide tell us, that if you believe the Bible, you believe that the last great battle that occurs on earth will happen right out there where you're looking. Hundreds of years ago, centuries ago, Napoleon stood at the valley of Jezreel and said, quote, all the armies of the world could maneuver for battle here. It's called the Battle of Armageddon, or Armageddon, It is said that when that battle occurs, the Scripture says, that it will be so devastating that blood will run to the the bridles of horses in the great and last battle of the earth. Now, the book of Revelation, if you'll turn right quickly to the Revelation, chapter 16. 
has a refers to Armageddon by name. Now I want to read beginning at verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out, of the, out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. And they, verse 16, gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon, Har-Mageddon. Armageddon. Now here he describes the war. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning. It's a nuclear war. Nuclear destruction. There were flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. That's New York, and Tokyo, and Paris, and Washington, D.C. And the cities of the nations fell. And Babylon the Great was remembered before God, to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Now, I want to wrap this up tonight. I want you to listen to a verse, a passage of Scripture read from another translation. Interesting thing happened to me one time. I woke up in the middle of the night with a start about 20 years ago with a dream. And in this dream, I dreamed that the end of the world had come. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm, you know and, but the interesting thing about this dream was that that, that it went at the end of the world, I heard this sound that was just a hissing sound. And I woke up, you know, in the realization that I just had a dream about the end of the world. About ten years ago, I had a guy come to my church who is a, a converted Jew who, who, is a, who preaches, who is a great uh, Bible prophet, and he preached on the second coming out of the book of Second Peter. That was his whole week-long uh, uh, text. And he read this text that I'm going to read to you tonight, and he paused at a place I'll mention in just a moment, and he said, Now, in the Greek, that word literally means swoosh. Hope I didn't spit on anybody there. <laughs> and what he described was the very sound I heard in my dream. Well, listen to what he says. This is the second letter, dearly beloved, that I've already written to you, in both of which I'm trying by reminders to stir up your unsullied minds to remember the things foretold by the holy prophets and the command of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand this, that in the last days mockers will come with their mockeries, living in accordance with their evil passions and saying, where is the promise 
Where is His promised coming? For ever since our forefathers fell asleep, everything has remained exactly as it was from the beginning of creation. For they will willfully ignore the fact that long ago the heavens existed and the earth that had been formed by God's command out of water and through water, by which also the world, though being deluged with water, was destroyed. But by the same command, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire and are kept for the day when godless men are to be doomed and destroyed. But you must avoid forgetting this one fact, dearly beloved, that with the Lord a single day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a single day. The Lord is not slow about His promise in the sense in which some think of slowness, but He is really dealing patiently with you because He's not willing for any to perish, but all for all to have an opportunity to repent. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a swoosh, with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned, will be destroyed by being burned up, and the earth with all its works will melt away. If all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what men are we ought to be? What holy and pious lives you ought to live, since you are awaiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, which will cause the heavens to blaze and dissolve, and the heavenly bodies to burn up and melt away. In accordance with His promise, we are expecting new heavens, and a new earth in which uprightness will have its permanent home. Therefore, listen, dearly beloved, since you are expecting this, be in earnest to be found in, by Him without a blot, without reproach, and at peace. Now, I don't think that it's the best thing to do to get into some kind of predicting mode or debate about eschatology, what I think the best thing for us to do is to make certain that when He comes and, his, and with Him a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day, that when He comes He finds us without blot, spot, blemish, and at peace with one another which means that you and I need to stop this warring within ourselves and with each other and get right with one another. Which means that if I have anything in my life that He would not honor and that would not be characteristic of His holiness, from that repent. For He said He's just being patient because He wants everybody to repent. I wonder tonight, the big issue tonight is not what is going to happen with regard to world events. 
The big issue tonight is, what's he going to find when he gets here? That's the issue. Search your heart, would you? Search your heart. See if you're ready for his return. Let's pray together. Our Father, now draw us to a point where we understand that what is the main issue and what is the most important is not who is the Antichrist, where will he come, where will he be, who are the nations, and what are they like, but a deep and personal belief that somewhere appointed in time there is an end. And everything in this world comes to an end. Everything is destroyed. And the only thing that remains is one's personal relationship with Jesus Christ, His faith. I pray that if there are any lost tonight, they'll come to Christ. If there are any whose lives are not what they ought to be, they'll get them right. In light of our Lord's imminent return. For I pray in His name, for His sake. There are three invitations tonight. One invitation is for you to come tonight and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. If I were lost and I heard a message like this, I'd be the first down the aisle, I think. If I understood that this could be over like this with a swoosh, I wasn't ready for that. I'd get ready, I think. There are people praying for you. I'd like to see you come to know Jesus Christ to get ready. Why don't you come and give your heart to Jesus? Trust Him. I believe tonight if I had an awareness of something in my life that God would... which God would be ashamed. I think I'd get that right tonight. In light of the end. In light of the beginning. Maybe you need to come and join the church. He's coming after the bride. His church. Rededicate your life to Christ. Why don't you do that tonight? While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.